Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into a good Saturday morning. Ready to rock and roll for another weekend, baby. Getting you up, getting you set, setting the tone for a whole weekend. And man, we are moving through November like a fill-in-the-blank analogy that you want to for a Saturday morning. It's still warm, which drives me nuts. It is one, what, we are a week and a half, almost two weeks away from Thanksgiving. That's pretty wild. So welcome into it. Great to have you. It is Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM, our friends out in Garden City on KIUL as well. Great to have you with us. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. We want to hear from you today, and we already have some calls on, so don't go anywhere. We'll take you in just a minute. Got a big show lined up for you. First and foremost, programming note, we are cutting the program a little bit short again today with college football going on here on KQAM starting at 1030. So be prepared for that. So we'll end about a half hour early on at the program, but doesn't mean that we're not going to have a lot of fun to cram in it to the next hour and a half here. Bottom of this hour, we're going to have a new guest on the show, Sam McRoberts with the Kansas Justice Institute. Talking about some litigation going on in the state of Kansas. A fascinating piece of do you have the right to sell certain products in the state of Kansas? What type of licensing do you need? And if it's all natural products, do you still have to get certain certifications, even though it's like organic things, which is a very odd position for us to be in? So we'll talk about that coming up at the bottom of the hour. An ongoing piece of litigation that is being run by the Kansas Justice Institute. So we have that top of next hour. Really happy to have on a brand new guest as well, State Senator Mike Thompson. As he came down last week to speak at the Pachyderm Club in the Wichita area. And I have to admit, I am so glad that we met him. I am so glad we were able to get him on the show. We are going to get him back on a lot more frequently as he is a fantastically solid conservative individual up in the state legislature. And I asked him on the air. I don't know if I asked him on the air or not, but I asked him how in the world he got elected up in Shawnee and Johnson County area. He is a fantastic conservative. We're going to talk some alternative energies. We'll talk about state budget issues because now that election season's over, we can start shifting gears and focusing on the upcoming legislative session of 2023, which is going to be huge. I'm telling you, that's going to be a big one this year because we have a lot to get done that we didn't get done last year. And are we going to have the opportunity to ram through a few of the things that failed last year? going into election season where maybe people might vote just a little bit differently. So this year is going to be... And I think we're going to make it big league. Yeah, so we're going to do that, and we'll talk about that coming up in hour at number two. So there's a lot to get to. We also have some calls at 316-721-8255 on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. As a teaser for you as well, hint, hint, wink, wink, we're also in the week or so leading up to Thanksgiving, which means, as you know, here on KQAM, we have our infamous turkey drop, and we will do a turkey drop here at some point on the program this morning, get you yourself a Thanksgiving turkey. Well, uh, stay tuned in, and we'll do that here in just a little bit. Before I get some calls, before we talk about some other stuff, though, I do want to do the rundown of the election results from Tuesday this week because they were kind of big. It was kind of a big deal. And pat yourself on the back, my friends. Holy cow, we saw a major shift in our city council here for the city of Wichita. There were three different city council seats that were open and a mayor's race, and all of them went straight Republican across the board, which is amazing. So pat yourself on the back. Congratulations. That is a huge victory. Now, we didn't do so well in uh, the Board of Education, but that's okay, at least for the Wichita area, not necessarily for some of the surrounding communities. But in the Wichita area, didn't quite get what we wanted to in these school board races, but we'll take it with the city council. If my numbers are correct now with this change, there will only be one Democrat on the city council starting in January, which is Brandon Johnson in District Number 1. And I uh, we enjoy Brandon Johnson. He's a great individual. We've had him on the show before. Obviously, don't always agree on some political issues, but he's not a radical. He's not a crazy one. Uh, he's a great guy. And uh, we enjoy having him and chatting with him as well. But if, I, if I'm looking at this right, we're going to have only one Democrat on the city council. Put this into perspective. Wichita is growing to be a relatively major city nationwide. 
And most cities are run by left-wing Democrats. And we see a lot of progressive values coming out of most cities across the nation to the point to where they're starting to fight back. Uh, I've said this on the other programs as well. The mayor for the city of Dallas, Texas, has switched over to Republican because crime is up 73% in the city of Dallas. And they want to do something about it because the mayor realizes that Democrats are not solving the problem. They're fighting against law enforcement. They're tying their hands with law enforcement and they can't get anything done. And we're not going down that road. And while there is still a major Democrat, um, I guess, presence in the city of Wichita, it's not having as much representation in city council because we just went red across the board. So first and foremost, pat yourself on the back because that is a huge win for such a major city. With when we're we talked about this being such a pivotal point in the city right now for the direction we're going to go with homelessness and with crime and with preparing ourselves for the Biden uh, inflation and how bad the economy is right now, trying to entice new business to come into the area, we have chosen, in my opinion, the right direction to go. Because we can be that beacon of light. And while all these other major cities are trying to just pay people off and trying to entice based on corrupt tactics, we can open up the door, really create some opportunity, lower taxes, lower regulation, and open up the private market to really flourish and do well. We are going to, while we we may be that flyover nation here in the middle of the country with Wichita, Kansas, but we're going to be that beacon of hope and light where we're going to see some really cool stuff start happening I hope so. Congratulations to all of them. We'll talk about those with these election updates and uh, and the results. So let's run through some of these, not just in Wichita, but in the surrounding communities as well, because you may not even know what surrounding communities had races and who actually won in some of these, because I think overall these elections went well. Obviously, I wish we could have seen some different uh, results in the school board elections, but that's another conversation for another time. First and foremost, Wichita mayor. It wasn't just close. It was a dominant win. Lily Wu taking over Brandon Whipple. Brandon Whipple, my friend, you are out, and we have to do our celebratory sayonara here on the program. (laughs) I still think, and maybe we should do this, maybe we really should rent out that dumpster and put it up to uh, City Hall and let him start clearing out his desk because he oh so desperately needs it. Can we do that one more time? Brandon Whipple, we have to tell you the farewell message, my friend. Lily Wu winning that race 58 to 42 percent, over 10,000 vote difference in that race, 35,859 with the final vote after all the mail-ins and some of the other uh, lagging in the final counting that happened to Brandon Whipple's 25,557. Wichita District number two, we've had her on the program many times before, Becky Tuttle, the incumbent, winning hands down 64 percent of that vote over the two can, uh, challengers in that race. Dalton Glasscock, congratulations to you, my friend. Uh, District number four winning very handily there as well, 62% to 38%. These aren't just wins. These are dominant victories for these city council seats. Wichita District number five as well, J.B. Johnston. We did not have the opportunity to chat with J.B. Johnston during the election, but we will get him on the program now that he is a city council member, and we'll get some city updates from him as well. So we're looking forward to chatting with him soon. He won pretty handily, 55%. Gary Bond, great friend, unfortunately didn't make that one, but uh, keep your head up high, my friend. That was a good hard fight, 25% there. Ben Taylor coming in third place as well. In the Wichita School District, as we mentioned, not quite the results that we wanted but nonetheless, we can continue to fight. Wichita District at large for USD 259. Melody McCray Miller beating Brent Davis 53 to 47. If you notice, that's a lot closer than the city council races for the Republican versus Democrat races, which is weird. I don't know why we saw such a difference because the at large, anybody within the Wichita School District is also within the mayor's race. And I'm not sure why we saw such a weird distinction there. They did run a pretty heavy online campaign. I was watching a lot of videos on YouTube, and they were running a lot of heavy videos on social media talking about the right-wingers trying to take over the school boards and trying to ban transgenderism and all this other garbage. So that probably uh, boosted a lot of the voter turnout for the Democrats on that side. Melody McCray Miller Miller beating Brent Davis in that one for the at-large. District number three, USD 259. Ken Carpenter fell to, I'm going to slaughter this uh, name, uh, Nock Vong. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, District number four, Stan Reeser beating Jason Carmichael. In that one, moving over to let's uh, kind of jump around and get some other ones here real quick. Bel Air City Council. We had Emily Hamburg and Tyler Den winning those races, 45 and 36 percent. The top two winning that out of three candidates. The Clearwater City Council, Justin Short and Samantha Warkin ended up getting in there. So congratulations to them. The mayor's race for the city of Derby. 
Uh, two candidates and Mark Statz ended up winning that 60 to 40 over Elizabeth Stanton. The Goddard City Council, we had Krista Hall, George Lieb, and Keaton Michael Fish winning those seats, the top three out of numerous candidates that were running. So they ended up uh, jumping onto the Goddard School Board. Mount Hope Mayor, we had Terry Summers over at Chris Rasmussen, 56 to 44 in that race. Mulvane, Trisha Gerber, and William Grant Leach uh, winning uh, with three candidates, the top two. Moving forward into the Mulvane City Council. Park City, Ward number 4, Terry Osborne ended up winning over Thomas Jones, Jet Truman, and Lou Susarello in the Valley Center Mayor's Race. Uh, Lou, if I remember correct, Lou was ahead for most of the night. Jet Truman taking over uh, at the last one in a close race, really within about 30 votes for that. You think that your vote doesn't matter, especially in small communities? There you go, 52-48 to 48 in that race. Derby, USD 260 for the school board. We had Kathy Boot, and I again, forgive me if I don't pronounce all these correctly. Kathy Boot, Mark Bo, uh, Bowling, and Melanie Turner, along with Tanya uh, Jacobucci, ended up uh, getting into the Derby School Board, Hayesville School Board. We had Jennifer Bain, Barbara Walters, Tasha White, and Greg Fenster. Valley Center USD 262 at large. We had Benjamin Wilson, Ryan McCalla. And a few others. See, I'm trying to go. We got to take a break here in a minute. So I want to try and skim through some of these as much as I can. Goddard USD 265 at large. We had Jerry Longbot, uh, Nicole Hawkins, Amanda Gish, and Jenny Simmons, along with others. We'll try and run through some more of these as the show goes along. But congratulations to everybody. Big wins all over the community. But our focus, obviously, here in the Wichita area, major wins for the city of Wichita. Holy cow. Uh, if you think this is the right direction, the next question is what do we do? Where do we start? I know that we've seen. The media already, these candidates are already trying to get their feet wet, trying to understand how the city process works. So that way, when they take over in January and get sworn in, they can hit the ground running and start getting things done. Do you see some optimism in the city of Wichita now that we have Brandon Whipple gone? Let's go to the phones here, shall we? 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK, line number one. Good morning, who's this? Scott. Scott, what's going on, sir? Well, uh... Hopefully, uh, you know, uh, the thing about Brandon Whipple is that him and the rest of the city council spent a lot of uh, our money on a pickleball court. And people weren't <laughs> million. Happy about that. Yes, and they weren't happy about that because that could have been invested in communities uh, that need grocery stores and gas stations and other type of things that, that the people will use. Yeah. Now, I don't know about this mayor. You know, that's a woman that came from a communist country. I don't know if she still had that mindset because she's talking about police and New York City spends a billion dollars on police and they still got crime. So you're going to have to have the community investment in order to get changes in the community. You got to uh, work with the people to solve problems. The police don't solve any problems. But if it was, we'd have a mayor who is a police chief, and we don't have that here so far. Yeah, well, and here's, I here's also, what I will say about here's what I will say about Lily, and uh, it's I am I am excited to see what she's going to do as mayor. So, uh, coming from China, coming from a communist country, I will say that that's probably the reason why they left is because they wanted the great American dream and got away and fled from some of that garbage. So they've seen what communism actually looks like, and they're living the American dream now. And she's come on here many times and told her story about her family and uh, how amazing it is to try and live that American dream. And obviously it's working because she moved here at what, the age of eight or nine years old and is now the mayor of the city of Wichita. So uh, that's awesome. Yep. And the, the issues that she's talked about, her platform is a very conservative, very libertarian even stance on issues, allowing the free market to solve the issues with having support from the government with whatever they can to open up that door and opportunity and allow that to flourish. So I am excited. I am happy. Uh, she does not have any governmental experience. So if anything's going to hinder her, it's going to be the lack of understanding of how the process actually works. But at the same time, the mayor's not the one that's supposed to be delegating everything. Uh, the city council is supposed to be doing that. And she's supposed to be guiding kind of the conversation and just kind of uh, and, and being that person to try and help uh, guide that to allow it to happen. But the mayor does not have all the power, which is a good thing. And with her stance on issues, she's going to essentially be the one that says, I'm going to get the hell out of the way and let things solve itself, which is what needs to happen. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see what she's well, going to I do. Think, also, I think that, uh, you know, the city council and the mayor had their opportunity zone issues uh, 
that didn't affect uh, specifically the black community because when those opportunity zones were put out by the federal government, they allowed the local government to decide what area needed to be uh, developed. And it seemed like the city council, including Brandon Johnson, who's really not working for his district, we've obviously seen that from the uh, homeless shelter there. But, I mean, they failed. I mean, they've had government money, and they failed. That's why come there out. Now, we'll see what Lily Wu does, but like I say, uh, I've heard of sleeper cells before where you got somebody who seems like they change, but then they're actually uh, undercover agents. So we'll see. Well, uh, the fact that she came over at such a young age, her parents have been very involved in, you know, working hard, living that American dream and, and building something up as a life is, is encouraging. And I'm I'm very proud. I, I I'm not uh, I'm not concerned about a, uh, a a sleeper cell, so to speak, of coming in and trying to change things to a communist nation. We're not allowed to do that, and we have a city council that's not going to allow that either. But I I appreciate the call very much, my friend. That's an interesting theory for sure. Let's go back to it here, line. No, I tell you what, we got to take a break. We're way late on a break. We got to do this. I get too excited, and I just want to keep on going. So hang on the line. We'll get to you when we come back in just a minute, and we'll take your phone call. Uh, what do you get to look forward to with the city of Wichita now that we have a new mayor? We have a dominantly Republican city council. Dominant. There is one Democrat that will now be on the city council, and that's Brandon Johnson. The rest of them are all Republican. Becky Tuttle and Jeff Bluebaugh and Dalton Glasscock, J.V. Johnston. They're all Republican. Everybody. It's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be fun to watch and see what happens now and what type of direction we can go with a heavily Republican city council and a conservative libertarian mayor that's going to be great. I'm excited for this. 316-721-8255. we got a lot to break down, man. Times are changing. Maybe there's some light in the city of Wichita. It's going to be fun to watch right here on KQAM. Stay here. Five minutes past the hour. Welcome back into it here at Kansas Talk, Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Getting you up and moving for another Saturday morning. Trying to start off your weekend the proper way. Setting that tone the way we do all the time. All throughout the week here on the Saturday program. Make sure to check out our syndicated show this weekend as well. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. By the way, I have to say thank you to you. So uh, we can't really say much on the radio but you know we always uh, try and keep track of trends and ratings and how the, how the station's going how different shows are going and we have to say thank you very much because not only is this show doing very well in the Wichita market but KQAM as a whole is number 1 in the entire market for any radio station for time spent listening meaning meaning that when you listen to KQAM you listen for a long time you listen to multiple programs all throughout the day and we are number one in the entire market for the city of Wichita in any music or talk radio. We are number one in the entire market for how long you actually listen to this station. So, holy crap, man. Thank you. That is absolutely amazing. We love you guys so much. We appreciate it so much for all your support with KQAM Radio. We support it, obviously, with our individual shows, whether it's Jeff in the morning with Wake Up Wichita, whether it's my show during the week or any of the syndicated programs you listen to with uh, Brian Kilmeade or Dan Pongino, Todd Starnes, Joe Peggs, uh, all that. And then, of course, the Saturday programming with this show as well. We thank you so, so much. It is unbelievable with how much you – when you lock in, man, you lock in all the time. And, again, we're number one in the entire market for any radio station for how long you actually listen. There's They look at different demographics with certain shows, different hours, and time spent listening, how long you actually listen to the station, and we're number one. So thank you for that. We love you to death, and we appreciate that very, very, very much. All right, we got a couple of minutes before the bottom of the hour. Let's go to the phones here, shall we? Line number two. Good morning. Who's this? Hey, fight the power, Andy. Fight the power, brother. What's going on, Sean? Well, first of all, let me just say that uh, even though a secret ballot is just that secret, I'm going to go ahead and let you know that uh, I set aside my sexism and my chauvinism, and I cast a vote for Lily Wu. Mm hmm. All right. All right. There you go. Well, you know what? You you did great, and I appreciate that, and I think she's going to be uh, much better than Mr. Cigar and Mr. Dumpster. 
Well, two out of three, I'll say, isn't bad when it comes when it came to the election. So, I wish Brent Davis could have got elected, but you know he oh, campaigned well. hard. He campaigned hard, and he'll, uh, hopefully he'll try again. We need that USD two five nine school district uh, seat, but he did. He fought hard, and we'll try again. It, it's going to be okay. It is. It, it is. It's weird though that we won so well in the city council races and then we lost in the school board. And the crazy part is we won by wide margins in all the city council races, like 60-40. The school board, we only lost by about three or four points. Yeah, well, that's not bad. Uh, Hey, um, I'd like to talk about something, so I'd like to call back uh, somewhere in the last half of the second hour, if I could. Is that all right? Uh, go for it. Now, again, we end the show a little bit early today at 1030 because of some college football. So you'll have to try and call back in that uh, in hour number two and and trying to tell us your story of the day. OK. All right. Anyway, uh, program note, uh, the first weekend in January, if I remember to call, don't lose track of time and all that. Uh, my new greeting will be changed from the mm. current greeting is uh, the new greeting will be you got to frank it up. Ooh. All right. All right. Get up, Andy. I like it. I like that. All right, Sean. I appreciate that. We got to take a break here. Uh, we will uh, start using it here on the program. When we come back, got to take a break. Kansas Justice Institute will shift gears a little bit, talk about some litigation and what's going on in the state of Kansas. Do we have some freedoms to try and start businesses, succeed, try and take care of our family in a natural way that normally wouldn't take a whole lot of um, training through the certification process, if you want to put it that way? And yet we're seeing some roadblocks in that with uh, ongoing laws in the state of Kansas. We'll talk about some of that when we come back with the Kansas Justice Institute. Lots more coming up right around the corner here. It's Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker. K-Q-A-M. Stay right here. You're listening to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, you are. Welcome back into it. Kansas Talk right here, Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM, 1480 on the AM dial. If you have that HD radio, you can also pick us up on 99.7 HD4, plus our friends out in Garden City, Kansas on KIUL, also picking up the program as well, like you do every single weekend. So wonderful to have you with us on this fun ride we call Saturday mornings, getting you up and moving. Again, we'll do some more of these election numbers here in just a little bit, but... Right now, I want to shift gears just a little bit because uh, we've talked about elections. We're excited to see what's in the future for the city of Wichita and other places as well. Again, still blows my mind a little bit that we had such a wide margin win for all the Republicans for city council and the mayor here in Wichita. And yet we lost the school board races, but we only lost them by a small margin. So that's something to be hold on. Maybe we didn't pay attention to it as much. Maybe people just didn't know. Maybe their campaign of trying to demonize Republicans by stripping away LGBTQ rights or whatever they tried to campaign on really worked with that fear based politics, which I'm here to tell you that overall uh, nationwide, there was a lot of uh, politics of fear that were ongoing, driving people to the polls to vote in a fear based manner. We'll talk about some more of that a little bit later on the show, but I want to shift gears a bit because now that the election's over, we can focus on the legislative session of 2023, and we're going to start having a lot of uh, legislators on. Hour number two, we'll have Kansas State Senator Mike Thompson on the show to talk about alternative energies and prices with the budget and taxes and so on and so forth. But I am, uh, I'm always about trying to find ways to cut government regulation. Seems like a normal thing, right? We want to cut government regulation. We want to cut the red tape, let the private market flourish. And for some reason, that's one thing that we struggle at here in the state of Kansas. We may be a relatively red state, but overall, we still struggle with the ability to actually cut the red tape and let the private market flourish, especially when it comes to maybe the more natural types of products. Now, I want to ask you a question. We'll get some more details with our next guest here as I set the stage for him. But I want to ask you a question. If you're trying to sell a certain product that is all natural, maybe you're not using chemicals, it's something that's been around for a thousand years, then do you need to go and get a license like a cosmetology license or or a cosmology license, whatever they call it? Uh, Do you need that if you're just selling something that's not using the chemicals that we sell in today's normal situation or environment, but something that's a little more natural. I'm going to put uh, honey on a wound. Why? Because it actually heals things and disinfects it. Oh, you can't do that unless you're a licensed physician. Really? 
Is that the kind of stuff that we need to have in society or are we trying to tie our own hands to not let us do something that I think is kind of common sense. Talk about some of this and more with an ongoing piece of litigation in the state of Kansas right now. Excited to have on here. He's the litigation director for the Kansas Justice Institute. Happy to have on here Sam McRoberts. Sam, how are you, my friend? Oh, great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you, and I'm really intrigued by this case that you guys are working on right now because this is uh, fascinating to me on why we, again, tie our own hands and make it so complicated to do something that is organic that is natural that is a normal thing that uh, you don't think would take a lot of licensing to have to do but it seems like we're almost uh, discouraging individuals to go down this road yeah i think that the state of kansas tries to do the right thing when it comes to regulations but at the end of the day you get different legislators coming in voting for different things and then you end up with a completely ridiculous and in our view unconstitutional licensing regime for sugaring which is what you were alluding to in your opening. Yeah, uh, talk about what sugaring have, is. What is this? Yeah, sugaring is is an ancient grooming technique. It's been around for uh, a thousand years. And really what it is, it's a hair removal technique where you use sugar, lemon juice, water. You warm it up, you put it on wherever you want to remove the hair, and it basically removes the hair. That's it. It's It's safe, it's natural, it's effective. A lot of people like it. It's better than waxing. Waxing can be dangerous in some circumstances, but with sugaring, it's completely safe. But the state of Kansas requires people to get a cosmetology license or an esthetician license to be able to do sugaring. And that's where really when you're talking about regulations and making it hard for people to earn a living, this is a perfect example of it. So, so let me Kansas, get this. So hold on, I just want to I, I just yeah, want to yeah. clarify this for the listeners here. So we need to go and go and get a license to say that we're a professional cosmetologist or a, or we're going to be a specialist in this industry to use sugar, water, and lemon juice that's heated up to remove hair. And they're saying that in order for you to be able to put those combos together and remove hair, you have to get that license that you're a professional in doing it. <laughs> Absolutely, that's, <laughs> that's exactly what they're saying. <laughs> yep. Wow. Okay, then. All right. That's wild. Yeah, so when did this case come up? Like, where? how did this even come about? So it, 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 this is really an ongoing effort that Kansas Justice Institute has. Uh, a couple of years ago, we filed a lawsuit against the Board of Cosmetology because eyebrow threading was also licensed under the same regime. And I don't know if you've heard of threading, but it is you take a piece of cotton thread and you can remove eyebrow hairs with just a piece of cotton thread. And the same regime, the same Board of Cosmetology requirements, forced people to take either 1,000 or 1,500 hours of instruction at a school. And so this is just a continuation, and our client, Bryn Green, reached out to us and said, hey, I want a sugar, but I can't do it because of this completely ridiculous licensing requirement. Wow. I've never seen, I mean, I, I get it when you're using the chemicals, when you're trying to use the latest products, when you want to open a business to to use these specialty products that are very complicated. That was the whole purpose, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Sam, that was the purpose when we started these certifications, when you would do these certain hours, when you go through this training, was to say, hey, I know how to do this in a professional manner with these new products, so I don't damage someone by using the products wrongly or mixing chemicals that shouldn't have been mixed and doing some type of damage, because now I'm professional and I know what I'm doing. But this is a different one. This is... I mean, if you're starting a business, you still get a business license to perform the action, but to be certified in this by using natural products that are very easy, that's very common sense that we've used for a long time, doesn't make any sense on why we would have to do that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think there is some debate, though, about why the government has imposed licensing requirements. So you hit on something that's really important. It's supposed to be that the government imposes a licensing requirement when the activity is dangerous or when it presents some sort of public welfare issue. Right. But licensing, occupational licensing, really came about in a different way. And it was really, it started with a protectionist, uh, almost like a cartel, where people who started an industry then decided, well, let's impose all of these really burdensome licensing requirements because we want to prevent entry into the marketplace. And it was a way to keep people out and artificially inflate uh, the price of things. And so then all of a sudden, you have these licensing requirements, like in Kansas, where in our view, it is protectionist because 
the, the schools cost somewhere between, or they can cost up to $19,000 to go through. And it's going to take a year of your life to do it. And so it really prevents people from getting into the business of sugaring, which is safe. And so what is the purpose here? And I think, you know, as I was listening to your intro, you're going to have legislators on. Those are some policy questions that really legislators should be answering. But our question is about the Kansas Constitution. And we have this really unique provision called the Life, Liberty, and Pursuit of Happiness Clause. I don't want to bore your listeners, but this is the cool part. It was modeled after the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. And so Kansas is, the Kansas Constitution is hardwired for liberty. It is supposed to prevent and will prevent uh, regimes like this one. And so that's why we filed a lawsuit. And we're not suing for money. We're not suing for damages, anything like that. What we're doing is suing to increase freedom and liberty and to get an order from a court that says to the Board of Cosmetology, this is unconstitutional. Yeah. And what, what kind of argument are they using on the other side of it? Are they using the Constitution themselves, or are they just using the fact that, well, this is what the licensing says you have to do, period, end of story? Yeah. That, so in, in almost all of these types of cases, the government attorneys will come back and say, hey, we're the legislature. This is what we decided. And so you just have to deal with it. And then it's going to be up to the judge to determine if that's enough. If just having a legislative body put together a licensing requirement, is, is that enough? Or does, the, or does the Kansas Constitution say, full stop, you must have a public welfare purpose, and these requirements need to be reasonable? Yeah. It's a fascinating case. We're talking with Sam McRoberts. He's the litigation director for the Kansas Justice Institute. You can find more information online at kansasjusticeinstitute.org and see some of the stuff that they're working on here. It's an, such an intriguing case because it does, I think it really comes down to what we kind of mentioned already is the redefining of what the purpose is of getting a certain license or getting some type of formal training for something and what the purpose of that is. Is it to actually be certified in using things for the safety because now you're a professional quote-unquote at it or like you said is it a way for them to keep certain individuals out of the industry and do you see that happening do you see that that's what they're doing is we don't like you trying to do the natural way so we're just going to put a lot of red tape out there so that way you're not involved in that way we keep you out of the industry because we want to have a dominance over it yeah here's here's a really important factor about this case and about why this licensing regime is unconstitutional if you go to cosmetology school, which again is fifteen hundred hours, and you're spending about nineteen thousand yeah. dollars, less than one percent of the curriculum would be devoted to sugaring. <laughs> less than one percent. Yeah. So, to me, on its face, that shows that this is a protectionist scheme, that this is unconstitutional because you can't force someone, in our view, to spend up to nineteen thousand dollars a year of their life to basically learn nothing about the business that you want to do. And so this really isn't about public safety. It's not about public welfare in our view. And we intend to prove that in our case. So I think this goes into a bigger conversation as well as, and we talked a little bit off the air about some other projects that are going on of the dominance that the pharmaceutical industry has. And I think pharmaceuticals also tie in as well with this cosmetology because of all the chemicals that they use. But when we look at people trying to get away from pharmaceutical pills and looking to go all natural or going holistic or going alternative medicines, there's a demonization there, and there's a lot of red tape that's prohibiting that type of industry from growing and flourishing, not just in Kansas, but nationwide as well. And I think that also needs to be looked at, doesn't it? I, I agree. I, I think that any time that the government is regulating something, you should take a hard look at it and see if those regulations make sense. And all of this kind of calls into my mind when we're talking about all natural products. The first case we did when we started up in 2019 uh, so raw milk in Kansas is perfectly legal, but Kansas has prohibited the advertisement of raw milk away from your farm. And in our view, it's like, hey, you have a constitutional right to speak about things. And how can the government tell you, no, you can't talk about this all-natural product, raw milk, that you're actually allowing people to sell? And we sued, and the state of Kansas, to their credit, said, yes, we agree with Kansas Justice Institute. That is unconstitutional. But the point is, and to your point, yes, the government does impose regulations on all natural products and things of that nature, and you, we should be looking at all of those. 
Yeah, I agree. Last question for you. we got just a couple minutes left here. It's uh, Sam McRoberts with the litigation director for the Kansas Justice Institute. But moving forward with this case specifically, and I think this could set maybe a precedence moving forward with other pieces of litigation as well, but are you optimistic about the direction this is going to go? I mean, courts sometimes, as you know, aren't the most conservative or uh, willing to listen to certain because they already have their agenda made up. But is this, do you think, a precedent that we could set for other future conversations about this topic? Incredibly optimistic. Our arguments are well-founded. We've got case law uh, from all around the country that is supporting our argument. And as I indicated, the Kansas Constitution really is written for liberty and freedom and for individual rights. And I'm confident that the Kansas courts are going to see our arguments and adopt them. And I I think this is going to be a big case for freedom for everyone else. Uh, Bryn specifically, but for all candidates. Yeah, amen to that. I am excited. I, I'm so glad you guys are taking this one up and fighting. This is an important battle to have, and I think more people are becoming aware of the opportunities, whether it's sugaring like this, whether it's the alternative means, alternative health care in some way, shape, or form. I think that there's a conversation to be had for it, and I think that uh, it's time for us to start pushing back on some of these issues. This could be the one that we set the tone with moving forward. Sam, I love it, my friend. Keep up the great fight. we got to get you back on and talk some more about this a, bit, a little bit later on. Sounds good. Thanks. Hey, appreciate it very much. All right, got to take a break right here on Candace Talk, Wichita's Big Talk, or KQAM. Stay here. Talking again with the AARP, whether it's the Fraud Watch Network, Retirement Calculator, getting involved in the community. Check them out online, aarp.org slash ks for the state of Kansas. Also find them and follow them on their social media as well. As Mary's on the line with us this week. Mary, how are you today? I'm doing great, Andy. How are you? We are always doing good. Good to chat with you. Uh, we are getting into November, December. Tis the season now that the holidays are officially upon us, which means that the focus may be shifting to Black Friday shopping or Christmas shopping or getting ready to get whatever you need for the end of the year, which means if you're buying things either at the store or online, there's always that opportunity for fraud, especially with some of those online sales scams that are going on. Talk about the latest that you've seen. Yeah, that's right. Um, Social media can be a dangerous place if you are shopping on, on social media, like on Facebook or Twitter. For Instagram, you'll see ads popping up all the time. You know, you may want to check and see what what your friends are up to. But in the midst of that, you're going to get ads. And scammers are great at creating really slick ads and professional-looking websites. And then they force them into your news feed and want you to click on those links. So I'm here to tell you today, be careful about clicking on any links that you are not certain where they go. Or what they're going to do. And, um, you know, shopping online is great and convenient, but go to sites that you know that are reputable rather than just clicking on a link. Last year, uh, or the, the Federal Trade Commission said that $2.7 billion was reported in fraud losses in 2021. And 44% of that came from fake sales. So you really, really want to be careful. Yeah, you do want to be careful. Like you mentioned, it's a little bit different. I know online always continues to change and evolve and adapt, but uh, we never thought about really buying things from social media. But now you see the like the Facebook marketplace or you see ads on TikTok if you have TikTok or different different uh, advertisements on Twitter or X now that you can buy really from any of these sites. And you got to be careful with those. Yeah, you know, they're going to make it look really good. They're going to say, look at this sale. And, you know, it, 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 and it's easy, so you're going to just click on it. You know, they just make it so easy. Um, it sounds too good to be true. It probably is. And what we recommend is that folks look for anything that's marked down more than 55% is too good to be true. So be very wary of any products or websites that offer popular or hard to find products at deeply discounted prices. Yeah. And you know that our first reaction is, hey, that's a great deal. I'm looking for that product or that's too good to pass up. I better get on that. And I, you know, you click the link and it can it can lead to either you receiving shoddy products or no products at all 
or they could even steal your payment information or upload credentials stealing malware onto your device. So there's a lot of things that could happen that would not be good if you click on those links. So be, be very, very careful. You know, if, if it sounds too good to be true, um, it, it really is. Yeah, no, absolutely. On the same front, outside of just the social media, are we still getting uh, uh, scam links like that in your email of different specials or different advertisements trying to purchase uh, products from different email links? Oh, yeah. it can. It's not just social media. It can be an email link. It can be a text link. Um, it, you know, it could be a phone call. It, 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 it could be anywhere. So just it, it, you just really have to be careful before you... Um, you know, if you, you want to get your shopping done, you want to do it quickly, um, but but you really need to take some time and be careful and, and make sure that you're buying from a reputable company um, that is not going to steal your information or give you a shoddy product or, you know, not send something that you've ordered and you're expecting before Christmas. So you yeah. just you just have to be careful. Links cannot be trusted. That's whether right, they're right. from social media, an ad, an email, or a text. That is very true. Yeah, and real quickly on that front as well, with the holidays, it's also the time for giving, which means the, the charity scams are also going to be ramping up around the area as well, isn't it? They're going to ramp up here pretty soon. That is right. Um, you're going to be uh, contacted all the time by charities, and you know a lot of them are good ones, and, and we want to make sure that we give to them. But you have to check them out too. There's there are websites you can go to that um, can tell you if a charity is a legitimate charity and um, and and how where, how the money is distributed. But really, the best advice is you know if you're called or you have a link, it's best to just go directly to that charity. They'll have a website. Go directly to them and give that way rather than um, receiving you know clicking on a link that you receive from somebody. Yeah, amen to that. We got just about a minute left here, Mary, but talk about what else is going on with the AARP going into the holiday and fall season. Yeah, we still have some uh, in-person workshops around the Wichita area. And of course, we have a Movies for Grownups coming up in December. Information will be um, coming out about that. So be sure to check those out. And of course, we have a lot of online activities um, in preparation for the holiday season. You can learn how to tie bows and and Christmas recipes and all kinds of fun things that you go online. And you can find that all at www.aarp.org slash AS. And, of course, we're on Facebook and X. Always great information, aarp.org slash KS for the state of Kansas and also on their social media. Go and check them out. Mary, we always appreciate it very much. Let's do it again next week. Thank you, Andy. Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into it. It is Kansas Talk, our number dose of Kansas Talk right here. Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for listening to the station. We love you to death every single day. Also, our friends out in Garden City, Kansas, KIUL, 1240 in the AM dial there. Great to have you along for the ride. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. We'll get to all your phone calls here in just a little bit, but I don't want to waste any time because it's kind of a long interview, and he had some great information. I couldn't stop talking to this guy, and we're going to get him back on the show as we get closer to the legislative session of 2023. But now that the elections are over, we get to focus on the session of 2023 on what the agenda may look like as we sat down with State Senator Mike Thompson, not to be confused with the new Speaker of the House in Washington, D.C., Mike Johnson, but State Senator Mike Thompson from District Number 10 in the Johnson County area. How he got elected as a conservative, I have no clue. But he was in town last week to talk at the Pachyderm Club. And while he was in town, he sat down with us here on Kansas Talk. And this is what he had to say. Mike, how are you, my friend? Hey, Andy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. I, I appreciate it. Nice little drive down from Kansas City this morning. Nice. From Kansas City all yes. the way down to Wichita, yes, which uh, you're going to be speaking at the Pachyderm Club. So yeah. uh, that's awesome. And talking about a lot of different issues, which I want to talk about your focus on energy issues along with some of the legislative issues right. for the upcoming session because this last session was good 
we can always make it better, but it, you always have that challenge of that uh, that that red tape that we have called the governor right now, making things that much more difficult. You got to get the veto-proof majority all the time for yeah. anything that's uh, controversial at all. And we we did have we did have some good things last year. We fell one vote short on the single rate tax. Yeah, that um, one hurt. We, that that one, one hurt a lot. Uh, it, people don't realize how much that hurt. I mean, it would help literally everybody in the state. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we could go down that road. Yeah. And, uh, do you think that we're going to see that this year? And oh. will we see a, a better unified caucus for the Republicans in the Senate this year? Uh, I mean, for, it is election for, year. They may change their you, tone a little bit. You would hope that they would look <laughs> at tax cut and say, that's a pretty good little topic for uh, voters. I, I, property tax in our area, and I'm sure down here, huge problem. Yeah. Huge, huge problem. Valuations are out of control. I've got people calling me in tears because... They can't afford to stay in their house because of their tax. Wow. I mean, they've paid off their home. These are A lot of these are seniors who have paid off their homes. Sure. They allegedly own the home, but the government right. owns it, essentially. So you never can own your own house. Uh, so we've got to fix that problem. We've got to get our taxes lower to be competitive. I mean, you look at the big growth states like Texas, Nash, or, uh, uh, Tennessee, uh, Florida, where they've got no state income tax. Right. You know, they also have advantage. They have beaches. We don't. So the next tier of states that have the single rate, lower rate of tax uh, are economically doing very well. And we've got to do that here in Kansas. Yeah. Uh, we need to address it at the state level as well, because I know at the local levels, the city's trying to do something for like veterans and, and right. trying to you know do some tax breaks and trying to do some programs to help them and assist them. But why would we do that at the local level? And we sh- that should just be kind of streamlined across the entire state to make it easy to be able to pay your property taxes especially you shouldn't have to leave your home because you can't afford your property no, taxes absolutely not and and really what they're doing is they're pay- playing games i i saw this in my particular personal instance right you know i own my home i, I worked hard for many years scrimped and saved paid it off yep and then we passed the revenue neutral the bill where it required uh, any entity taxing authority who was going to raise their uh, either their mill levy or the valuations and take it above a revenue neutral rate to you know put it to have a public forum and talk about this. Uh, every single taxing authority that affected my property, my home, raised the revenue neutral rate or proposed to do so, and some as much as twenty two percent. Wow. So Thank it's God. not only were they just ignoring it, they were thumbing in their noses at this, say, hey, we're going to go ahead and do this. And generally what it is is they see um, making sure that their coffers, the government coffers are full, is more important than making sure that you can afford to stay in your home. They don't see government for what it is, which is a necessary evil. Right. Um, and so we've got a situation here where we've got to get this under control. Well, and you would think now with the time where we have a surplus in the state coffers oh. would be at the opportune time to cut some of those rates. But instead, right. we're hearing the argument about Medicaid expansion, let's invest in other programs, which we know that money's not going to be there forever because it never is. We always go in these waves. Why not try to limit the amount of burden on the people when we have the opportunity to do so? And especially during inflationary times, because when you have inflation, <laughs> you also have higher tax revenues because yeah. everything costs more. Sales tax are higher. And so... We're going to have bigger and bigger budget surpluses. We should be giving it back to people right now. And you look at what the Fed's doing. We can't stop this crazy money printing. Right. I mean, what we we went what three hundred billion dollars in debt one day a couple weeks ago, uh, and we're going to be hitting fifty trillion in debt by twenty thirty, if not before. Our new federal budget. They want to raise the spending cap by two trillion dollars. Twice over this next fiscal year and the following fiscal year. That's four. That's that's above what we spent during the COVID nineteen pandemic when we shut everybody down and said you're non essential right. and bailed everybody out. I mean that's insanity. And, and so you know this this CPI uh, consumer price index inflation index is all jacked up anyhow. It's false information. Um, you know people don't realize that one of the main components of GDP, for example, is government spending. Yeah. So they're trying to turn a a debt into an asset. <laughs> Doesn't make a whole lot of accounting sense, and and so everything is not rosy here. We we've got to help people. We and we need to recognize that 
Government needs to tighten its belt as much as mom and pop does. Yeah, amen to that. Real quickly on that topic with Medicaid expansion, the governor's been around trying to do her tour around the state like she has done the last couple of years as well, advocating for that Medicaid expansion. Right. Uh, we still have the supermajority of Republicans in both chambers right now, thankfully. I don't see this going anywhere, but this is her last year in office, and I know that she's probably going into panic mode right now. Do you think this is going to happen this year? Medicaid expansion. Oh, yeah. every time we run a health bill, there's an attempt to amend that bill to add <laughs> Medicaid expansion. Course, yeah. it, it happens every time. So you have to be very cognizant of what you're doing with these bills sure. because they'll try to put it in in a sneaky way. So it won't be an overt, overt and direct path. It will be some kind of indirect path that we have to be cautious of and very careful. But Medicaid expansion, uh, people are being sold a bill of goods on this. Yeah. They think it's the panacea that's going to fix the problem with the rural hospitals, that's going to take the problem of, of the low-income people who need health care insurance. It, it's going to be hastening their demise is what it's going to do. Yeah. And their access to health care is going to be extremely re- restricted. Uh, they're going to be kicked off probably very affordable plans that they can get that are highly subsidized. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Most people are just being sold to propaganda, buying into it, but they don't do their homework. They don't understand it. Yeah, I've never understood why whenever there's an issue, the government's got to be the one to solve it. Because the Kansas Farm Bureau, for example, came out with their, not health care, but quote-unquote health option, trying to create some private option uh, opportunities in the market that seems to be working well. Why is it that Medicaid is the only way to take care of the low-income people in the state? I don't get that. As soon as people understand that... First of all, Medicaid expansion is nothing but an extension of Obamacare. Right. And we were sold this bill of goods that the cost of health care was going to go down. It's gone up, nothing but up, yeah. uh, exponentially since that. So if you think adding to that, and the, the end goal essentially was to make it all government health care, sure. what they have in the U.K., um, and we don't want that here. We want what semblance of a healthcare system we have left needs to stay intact and needs to be more privatized and not more government involvement. Yeah, we got to preserve what we can. We're talking with State Senator Mike Thompson, District Number Ten. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about energy. And I know you have your nonprofit organization, right. and we're talking because uh, again, we're seeing this massive push for we need to get rid of. Uh, it's, uh, the huh. natural gas stoves, oh. and we need to do electric vehicles, and we need to push for this alternative energy mindset. We talk a lot with Candace Strong and Martin uh, Warren Martin, who's a great individual with his organization as well, about the need for oil, natural gas in yeah. the state of Kansas, what it does economically here, what it does, and how clean it actually is. This is the direction we have to be going here because, I'm sorry, putting a solar panel on my house is nice, and I'm all for doing that. But it's not sustainable for an entire society. Right, exactly. Uh, solar panels or wind turbines are not built for the grid. Right. They don't work. Our goal, it, it, okay, let's, let's say our goal is to be clean, green, blah, blah, blah. The goal should be to get the most energy using the least amount of resources. Right. So you look at the energy return on investment. Wind and solar are almost one-to-one at best. You look at oil and gas. For every unit of energy you put into developing an oil well or gas, you get 50 units of energy back. Mm. Nuclear is even more. It's 80 to 1. Sure. So it makes zero sense to be trying to replace our uh, oil, our gas, our coal, our, our natural resources with unreliable sources like wind and solar, which are what they call non-dispatchable. They're only available... If the wind's blowing, and and the wind, it's not just wind blowing. The wind has to be blowing at a certain speed mm. consistently. What people don't realize, the for example, the turbine blades uh, weigh about 38 to 40 tons. Okay. okay. That, that blade assembly. Uh, and the nacelle that they're connected to at the very top of the pedestal uh, weighs about 50 tons. Those are on the older wow. ones. The new turbines are now 700, 750 feet tall, so they're even heavier. So a 10-mile-per-hour wind does not turn those blades. A little breeze doesn't help a whole a lot. A little breeze doesn't do anything. <laughs> and it's not just because those blades are turning does not mean it's producing electricity. In fact, most of the time, the, the turbines are using electricity. People don't realize they're electric animals. Sure. They do not run without electricity. They have to have electricity to start the blades turning. They have to have electricity 
to heat and cool that nacelle. They have to have electricity to turn the nacelle into the wind. And if the wind speeds are about 10 miles an hour or less, those blades are in maintenance mode. They can't park those blades in a horizontal position because they'll warp. Wow. And the blades wear out anywhere from one to three years, so they have to be replaced very often. Every, every one to three years. Every one to three years, which means they're going into a landfill or being stacked somewhere. What do they do with them afterwards? Well, do they try to recycle they them? They can't like, recycle them. They can't. Interesting. No, it's it's impossible. You just, the cost of recycling, well, it, it, the material they're using is not recyclable. Let's sure. put it that way. Uh, not wow. easily recyclable. So they the best... The best option is put them in the landfills. The other thing people don't realize, we have about 4,500 turbines across the state right now. The decommissioning cost is never talked about. So you've got all these turbines, and we've got projected up to as many as 10,000 turbines across Kansas in the coming years, although the big push right now is into solar. Solar is the same problem with decommissioning. But let's talk about the turbines. As of 2018, the last time I checked and and had a conversation with an expert back in Washington, D.C., who covers this sort of stuff, he told me at that point that the cost for decommissioning the turbines was $1 million per turbine. Okay? Wow. So let's say in the future we have 10,000 turbines, and let's not use inflation here. We're talking $10 billion to take those down. Factor inflation, and it's going to be... Who knows what? Yeah. Who knows what? Ten billion dollars is a, a big, sizable, It's a sizable chunk of the state general fund. Sure, we don't have that much money. So who's going to pay for that? Is it going to be the the leaseholder? No. Is it going to be the the county? No. Is it going to be the state? No. Those wind companies will just pull up stakes, go bankrupt, or declare bankruptcy and leave. Right. That's what happened in California. And you're looking at a whole bunch of use broken down turbines sitting on land out there and instead of taking them down they're just putting a new one up right next door to it because they have the lease on the land right those leases run up to 90 years sure with renewable clauses in keep there. throwing more on there what it seems like is we're subsidizing the building of them with government grants of oh just do this alternative energy thing we're gonna have to subsidize it as well at the end of it to take it down and rebuild a new one right. thereafter so and, uh, we're essentially just streamlining the federal government to kind of take control here. And there's no plan for decommissioning at all. Wow. There's no plan. The trouble is the EPA rules and all these uh, other rules that are coming online will accelerate the closure of coal plants uh, across the nation. In fact, we're seeing most of the closures and decommissionings of coal plants um, around the nation. (laughs) The EPA rules will accelerate those closures to the point that by 2028, a vast majority of them will close down, um, which means that coal, which now comprises usually about 40, at, at times up to 50% of our energy, sure, um, is going to go away. And then we're going to end up with wind and gas and natural gas. Right. Well, <laughs> that sounds nice, except the, the natural gas prices can spike due to market exposure. Well, we and, saw that just a couple of years ago during that extreme cold. Exactly. I mean, people saw, I saw personally, I saw a $2,000 natural gas bill that we had. Luckily, our city gave us a year to pay it off. But I mean, that was that was absurd. When our, my normal bill is like 100 bucks, I had a $2,000 bill for natural gas. And that was all because of arbitrage. It wasn't costing any more to produce the natural gas. Right. It wasn't the gas company making the money. It was the Wall Street guys who were betting on a spike and running up the price. And they did so in a matter of a couple of days, and the price went from $2.50 a unit to 625 Yeah, There were towns that were facing bankruptcy. So that's what you're going to end up with. And Germany leads the way on this. They've retired their coal plants. They've shut down all their nuclear plants. Their electric rates are 10 times higher than ours wow. because they have wind and natural gas. Shouldn't that be a sign? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, France used to have like 80% of their energy by nuclear. Are yeah. they still doing that as well? Yeah, and France still fairly, uh, yes. They're, okay. they're heavy into nuclear. They have some of the lowest electrical rates in the EU. Sure. Duh. <laughs> you know, here, a shocker, here's, yeah. Here's our problem. We're part of the Southwest Power Pool, okay, uh, which is a 15-state region. They're going to expand all the way to the West Coast over the coming years. That's their plans. 
We only have we have the only nuclear plant in the entire fifteen state region right now. That's uh, Wolf Creek. Okay. Okay. And at any one time, it's consistently producing about um, five to seven percent of the energy. It, it serves about eighty six counties around the state of Kansas. So it's it's there, and the cost is is nominal. We paid it off. If we took the, so it's just cranking out. Yeah. It's cranking out electricity. Wow. So, you know, if we took the trillions of dollars that we're subsidizing wind and solar and took that back and started building more nuclear plants uh, and and hardened our grid to make it more reliable, we wouldn't have to pay for all this transmission line costs. We wouldn't have to pay for the energy cost adjustments due to the renewables that are online. Uh, you know, they're talking about the fact that once they retire all these coal plants, there's not enough electricity uh, generation in the the MISO, that's the Mid-Continent uh, Regional Transmission Organization right next to us, runs through the middle sure. part of the country up to Illinois, where they've gotten rid of their coal plants. They're saying, well, we don't have enough electricity. We want to siphon electricity off of you guys down in Kansas. Of course. So all of a sudden, the feds are talking about a, a minimum transfer requirement of electricity from our area to their area which means we will have to pay for part of the transmission line cost. We shouldn't have to pay a dime for that. Yeah, Evergy's already talked about that, trying to make us foot the bill, raise the rates a little bit so they can expand that, which I know a lot of people aren't happy about because they're looking at expanding those. I believe in your area they're looking at expanding uh, for some of the manufacturing plants being built oh, that, up there. That's, that's that true? new Panasonic I mean, plant. Yeah, the new the Panasonic plant. plant. Yeah, which, so now which, we have tons of utility <laughs> rates all over the place that they're doing for their expansion. We're not getting any benefit from. Right, right. And this Panasonic mess is literally a mess because they didn't calculate or even talk about in the process that this plant is an energy hog. It's going to suck electricity like you wouldn't. But it's going to save the environment. It's, it's going to be like Clark Griswold when he turns on the lights at his house. You know, you're going to you're going to need an extra nuke just to help uh, run that place. That's right. It's crazy. Wow, it is unbelievable, and yet we allow that to happen. Is there any opportunity, and obviously we don't see this really anywhere, but a competition within the electric companies and actually bring competition to lower some of those prices and say, I don't like the rate the rate hikes you guys are doing here, so we're just going to go with another option. It seems kind of difficult because we're using kind of the same resources to get right. the electricity to you, but I, you know, essentially we're monopolizing utilities, which wasn't supposed to be the case. There's several problems. Uh, number one, with the, uh, the monopoly you're talking about right now, they are guaranteed a rate of return of close to 10%. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that's a problem. Deregulation is what you were talking about, which they see down in Texas, the ERCOT, sure. uh, which is kind of walled off. There's not much uh, energy going in and out of there. There's a couple connections, but not many. Um, the, the only problem is with the subsidies for the wind and solar, it makes it so that they would be favored in a deregulated market. Mm. You have to get rid of the subsidies to make that deregulation actually work here. If we did, it would work because then you would have competition in that market amongst different generators that could say, it's like your cell phone. I can get a cheaper deal with uh, this guy because he can right. generate the electricity cheaper. But the subsidies are enormous. In fact, with the Inflation Reduction Act under the Biden administration, they, they had something like $800 billion of green energy subsidies on there. Uh, solar is subsidized like 130 times more than nuclear. And uh, it, it's some ridiculous sum also on the wind. So when that money is available to the federal government, yeah. you know, people are going to take advantage of it. Evergy is going to take advantage of it. Oh, they, absolutely. They can't turn down that money. Uh, so it pushes them forces them in the direction of green energy, even though they know that it's creating a reliability issue. They know that it's going to increase the cost because of the transmission lines, because we've got to get rid of that congestion of electricity in southwest Kansas, for example. Right. So we, they'll say, well, we only have to pay 17% of that line cost. <laughs> well, 17% of billions of dollars is still a lot of money. Still a lot of money, yeah. And so you know, they play with numbers to try to make it look good, and it just doesn't work. 
It's unfortunate. Uh, Mike, we got just a few minutes left here. It flies by so fast, it and does. I could talk there's about this so much with there, you. There's a lot. Uh, there's so much to talk about there <laughs> and so many other topics as well. But I want to talk about your nonprofit as well and some of the awareness that you're bringing to this issue because yeah. I know it's going to be a major talking point in the legislature this year, not to mention all the, and we could go into the oil reserves that are depleted at the federal level. Oh. We have the conflict in the Middle East that's going to cause prices to go up already. Right. I mean, we're looking. I've heard looking at $100, $150 barrels of oil, which is going to skyrocket our gas prices. I get angry when it's about 340. That oh. makes me mad. Oh. And I don't see any change anytime soon. And I use the non-ethanol stuff. It's it's close <laughs> to five bucks a gallon. Oh, yeah, but, but I drive an old gas guzzling truck and it, you know, it just runs better on that stuff. So sure. but but you know, I pay it, but at ten bucks a gallon, I may have to start using a skateboard Man. to get back and forth to Topeka. I don't know. Yeah. It's, well, apparently their option pretty. is, oh, you have an old vehicle and you use a lot of gas. Just buy a hundred thousand dollar electric vehicle. Uh, Why not? That's your solution. Yeah. There. And then when the battery runs out, thirty grand sure. for a new battery. No big deal. Why not? They California like actually clicks. wanting to siphon the energy from the car to your home because now they have the blackouts. I mean, that so, makes total sense. It's so insane. It's insane. I, and that's basically you talked about my nonprofit. That's what we're trying to do. It's called the Academy for Climate and Energy Analysis. And um, what we're trying to do is not preach to the choir. You and I know this is a problem. Most people listening to the show know this is a problem. We have to reach out to the folks who have been indoctrinated, who believe that no green energy is the way to go. We have to save the planet. Well, I'm a meteorologist. I've, I've been in the field of meteorology for 47 years. I can tell you we actually should be clamoring for more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Mm. And that's a whole different show right there. That's right. Um, But the problem is um, we are using this climate change as justification for the energy policy in this country and have been doing it for a long time. So what we're trying to do is try to figure out how to reach those people, how to explain to them they're cutting their own throats sure. by going down this path. We're trying to save them. Isn't that the typical progressive agenda, though? I'm just gonna we're just gonna cut our own throat and play the victim. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, it's um, it's miseducation and it's indoctrination. The problem is uh, the moral relativism that has been uh, foisted upon our children for three generations now. Yeah, they. They won't listen to facts. They only listen to their facts. Their own. You can give them data all day long, sure, and they won't listen. So you have to find out how to get to their level, and that's more of an emotional kind of thing. It is, and that's the only way we're going to do it. And that's that's the direction we're trying to go. There it is. That's uh, Kansas State Senator Mike Thompson from District Number Ten. I have to ask the simple question: How in the world did a guy as conservative as that get into the seat in such a moderate Democrat-run area like Johnson County, Shawnee County area. He's an amazing guy. We'll get him back on the program as we get closer to the legislative session of 2023. That does it for us today. We're out of time, my friends. we got some college football coming up on KQAM right around the corner. Until then, everybody have a wonderful weekend. Don't miss our syndicated program later on this weekend as well. We're back at it on Monday for The Voice Reason and another episode of Candace Talk next Saturday right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Everybody have a great weekend. We will see you on the radio.